music, news, entertainment. It's all right here. This is The Kelly Alexander Show. Hey, it's Kelly, and this week we chat with platinum-selling Canadian singer-songwriter Jocelyn Alice, who rose to fame with her 2015 song Jackpot, which stayed in the top 20 for 15 consecutive weeks. We're joined as well by one of the 90s most prolific music executives, Gladys Pizarro, who played a huge role in many of the hit dance songs from that era when she was a part of Strictly Rhythm Records. New music on the way for you, too, from Mary J. Blige, Harry Styles, and Emotional Oranges. Jocelyn Alice has a bunch of hit songs like Jackpot, Bound to You, and Feels Right, and she has just released her debut album, How Dare You. We can't wait to find out all about the new tunes. Jocelyn, welcome back to The Kelly Alexander Show. Hi, Kelly. How are you? I am fantastic, and you've <laughs> literally like made my day uh, You know, joining me on the show. Um, I love you so much. You know this already, but I'm so happy because you know we have people listening around the world who might not know who you are, so I'm very excited for them to know who you are. So I first met you back in May of 2015, uh, things were really starting to roll because of your song Jackpot, which ended up becoming certified platinum in Canada. I wanted to know, were you able to enjoy the success of Jackpot or was the work kind of just beginning because of trying to capitalize on the momentum of that song? I had no idea what was going on. Like, I think back to that time and I'm like, I was such a different person. I was like a deer in headlights, first of all. Second of all, what people don't know in this industry is that it takes like a year for you to get paid. So it was very ironic because I was like living this fabulous life. But like, you know, when I met you, I came in there like I was like, I think I was couch surfing at the time. Oh, my goodness. And I booked my whole tour. Like I found a way to get a free WestJet pass and I booked my entire tour based on who could pick me up at the airport and whose couch I could sleep on because I couldn't even afford an airport ride. Wow. You know what I mean? I was so broke. And that like that song, like it hit at such a crazy time in my life where I was literally like, I don't know, I guess this isn't going to happen for me. I guess I should just go home and get my, get back to waitressing and just, I don't know, this isn't working out for me. And then boom, I'm like, you know, top 20 on radio out of nowhere. And yeah, you know, looking back, I, I wished that I had stopped and really enjoyed those moments more. But at the same time, honestly, I was exhausted that whole year. Like it was, it's it's a lot of hard work to try to do that on your own without any money. So now I I have, you know, I'm I'm feeling a lot better financially. I've had I have a lot more confidence now based on just the amount of songs that have hit on radio and people have connected with. So I'm I'm and I'm older, so I'm able to like really take those moments. But yeah, I it was just such a crazy time, Kel. Like you wouldn't have even believed what was going on in my head at the time you know yeah no crazy time and I wanted to ask you too at that time you uh you weren't with a major label but it didn't take you long to sign to one so I kind of want to know what that experience was like and and why you decided to going back to being an indie artist yeah so I mean I always wanted to try being signed to a major if I was able to get signed I think the fact that I even pulled that off was like really beyond my my dreams I, I getting signed to a major in America was so cool and basically they found me on Skype or not on Skype on Shazam, um, which is crazy. They, they found jackpot charting. They found out that I was indie. And I think that they were probably pretty impressed that I was doing this tour on my own, which I think is something that labels are really looking for now is like, how independent are you as an artist? And I had already built this, this thing up that they kind of just carried on with me. And, you know, Adam Alpert, he was, he was a real joy to work with. He, um, I trusted him as an artist, you know, he really understood what I was trying to do and he protected me. And I learned a lot about the system and about how many people are involved and how hard it is to make it work the way you want when there's that, like you'd think there's more people involved, it's going to work better. And sometimes that's the opposite because if you're not communicating properly, which is something that I, I struggle with, you know, things can really fall apart. And so I think we did an incredible job together and, you know, we had a lot of radio hits together and, I wanted to stay with them and I actually had stayed longer than I thought that I would. And I, I was waiting and they were extending my contract and wanting to keep me around. But, you know, I was just really ready to release a lot of music. And that was really the, the, the biggest, um, the biggest thing that we didn't agree on was just the amount of music I was releasing. Because if you know me, I write a lot of music. Like my next album is pretty much done, you know, and I just released a full length. Like I write, a lot and I write fast and I record fast and I just wanted to at the end of the day 
I really made that decision for my fans because I was like, you know what? They have waited some of them like 15 years to hear more than like seven songs. Like it's time to give them what they deserve. So it's a risk. I'm taking a huge risk here and I'm just hoping that it pays off and that I make the right decisions and that when I don't, I'll learn and I'll, I'll quickly pivot, you know, cause that's something I'm learning businesses a lot about. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's, <laughs> it's crazy that I'm like back to indie and living in Calgary again. And it's just, it feels really full circle. Now, since Jackpot, you've had a bunch of other singles do well, specifically on on Canadian radio, most recently, of course, Radio Mm -hmm. Silence and Never Been Hurt Before. It kind of feels Mm -hmm. like you know what to put out to get support from Canadian radio and fans across the country. Do you you feel that? Is that how you you feel or is it luck? No, I I know. I know in my heart and and I'm trusting that more and more. And also... You know, I tell other artists this, they're like, how did you get on the radio? And I'm like, well, I studied the radio for three years. Like I, every time I was around the radio, I was on pop radio and I was studying the landscapes that were, that were connecting with people. Because if you really boil it down to math and science, it's an equation, in my opinion. And I don't know how to get to that equation. I'm not a producer. I'm not good at that. But I do know when it's proper. And I know when it's going to connect. I just, I think I've always had an understanding of that. And I think that that's probably my greatest gift as an artist. You know, I I know that I'm, I'm very um, blessed as a singer. I have natural abilities and I work really hard as a singer. And I know that that's a huge part of my gift for sure is communicating through that vessel. But at the end of the day, my, my greatest love is crafting a great song. And I think I'm, I'm trusting myself more and more in that world and also realizing that you know, I could I could really do this with other artists and it could be like really fulfilling on a whole other level, which is something I did with Mother Mother on the drugs that went number one on, on rock radio, which was just an incredible experience for me. So, yeah, I, I think I'm definitely realizing more and more like the dynamics of a song and how much knowledge I have in that world. Now, I know you spent some time in Los Angeles, and I have a bunch of questions about that, but I guess the first one would be, how did you take to being down there? Because, you know, I'm a fan of a lot of songwriters from down there, and I know that it's quite the environment. So I'm just wondering, I I find like some artists really take to being down there, like it it inspires them, and then other times it feels like it's draining because you just feel like you're a small fish in a very big pond. That wasn't the draining part for me. I actually enjoyed that part in the in the beginning for sure I enjoyed the challenge of that and I also needed a break from the attention I was getting in Canada at the time it was like it was a lot at once you know I really blew up out of nowhere and so America was kind of like a solace for me where I could kind of hide from that and kind of recharge and then I'd go back to Canada and I'd be reminded that oh my god all these people love me and it's just so incredible you know but that can be really overwhelming when you're not like prepared for it you know but if I'm going to be honest LA was like tough for me. I, I, I never felt like myself there. And I think it's really hard to just be a healthy human when you don't feel like yourself. And it's especially hard to be a healthy artist and be pouring yourself out to all these strangers that at the end of the day, at the end of the day, a lot of the people I write, I wrote with were just incredible human beings and so gracious and so safe. But, you know, those ones that that weren't like really made it hard to show up for me. And in the last year, like, I don't know if I was depressed or like what was going on, but like I was not showing up to my sessions this last year. And I probably really tainted my reputation down there. Like, let's be real. But I, I was I was drowning, you know, and that's a big reason why I decided to move home. And I realized that the signs were there and I should have come home sooner, you know, and I was fighting to stay there because I thought it was what was right for my career. But what I've realized again and again is if you're not healthy and you're not enjoying it, like it doesn't matter what you're doing, you know? And I think that's what LA taught me is, I mean, if, if you have a ton of money, LA is a wonderful place to live, but if you don't, it's really tough. And there's a desperation there that is just thick and always apparent. And everyone's just, in their own hustle because you have to be to survive there. And I think I'm very, very sensitive. I'm very affected by, you know, the people around me and the energies around me. And I also come from West coast Canada, which has an extra sense of like softness. You know, people are very, very gentle over here. 
So I had a really hard time there and I'm really proud to move home. And, and also, I mean, look at the politics right now. Like what is going on? Yeah. I cannot, <laughs> I cannot proudly live in this country. I cannot support this. Yeah. I cannot support this. So I'm, I'm, you know, it almost killed me, Kel. Like I felt wow. really down this last year. Well, really, I'm, really dark. I'm super glad you came home because I think you belong here in Canada. I did want to ask you if you can confirm or deny this because I heard this or read this somewhere and I'm just wondering if it was true or not. Was there an opportunity um, for you to work with the chain smokers? Was that true or not? I don't know. <sighs> yeah, that is true. I oh. turned it down. You did? Okay. Can you tell us why? Well, actually, you want to hear the whole story? I do oh want to hear it. I don't know if I offended anyone. I have no idea if, I, if they even knew this, but so they sent me a song. And I didn't like it. I did not like the song. And I also, you know, if, if you know me as an artist, you know that I don't sing other people's songs. That's just not how I roll. I've always written my own music. And so they sent it to me and I was, oh my God, I really regret this. And I'm really embarrassed by this, but I actually rewrote the whole song. <laughs> um, and that was pretty disrespectful. And I think Adam was like, what the hell are you doing? You know, and I was like, well, this is how I would hear it. And if you want my voice on it, this is how I'll do it. Um, and you know what? It ended up being an extra track on their EP. It was called Setting Fires, a band called Zylo that I've, that I've met several times that are wonderful people took the song. And, you know, I look back now and I'm like, wow, that has like over 200 million streams. Like, was that the right decision? But I don't care about streams. You know what I mean? That's yeah. never actually really mattered to me, which I think is why I have a lot of streams because I'm really trying to make decisions from my gut and my heart as an artist and not from my like bank account, you know? Okay. So I'm proud of that decision. I really am. I'm proud. And I got to say another secret that I'm going to tell you, which is clearly not a secret anymore. <laughs> I decided after that experience, cause I was always closed to outside songs. And that means that, you know, so, like no songs would be coming to me that other people wrote. And I realized, you know, I was like, what if something came along that was in my wheelhouse of writing and did feel like I wrote it and was incredible? Like, what if? So, you know what? I opened those gates after that. And I was like, I'm probably not going to ever cut another song written by someone else, but I'm going to be more open because you never know. And just last week, I cut a vocal for a Julia Michaels song. So it's just so cool because I'm such a huge fan of hers and who knows if it's going to land or not, you know, but at the end of the day, I'm just like really proud of myself for changing my view on that and realizing that like, maybe I can make music in a different way that can open my mind and, and help people in a different way than I'm used to. And so we'll see, you know, that's cool. Have you met her? Like, have you guys hung out and written, written together? Um, so I actually did meet her in a studio once, but I was so nervous that I basically just walked in the kitchen and was like, I need a fork. I didn't even say hello to her, Kelly. Okay. Jocelyn. Like, that was so doing? rude. I was so embarrassed. Okay. And then 20 minutes later, who, who else do I run into? Oh, there's Ariana Grande. Oh my God. Amazing. I'm a huge fan. What do I do? I walk up to her. I touch her arm and I say, Hey girl, like as if I know her already. She looks at me like I'm a psychopath. Like, I don't know what came over me that day. It's really embarrassing. <laughs> Oh my God, this has to go in your book when you write one. This has to go in the book. I know. I'm just thinking like, if this song lands, it's going to be such a good story if I do get to meet her one day. <laughs> oh my God, so awesome. Hanging up with us on uh, on the show, Platinum Selling Canadian artist Jocelyn Alice. Hit up her website for all of her information, all of her social media, jocelynalice.com. Let us talk about the new album, How Dare You. So I want to know because you've been so successful with, with releasing singles. And I mean, I'm an album girl. I love artists to release albums, but I know that the climate has been singles, even for a major artist for the last while. So what was the decision to decide to go the album route? Because I know that that's like a big commitment. Yeah, it is. And, and I put less songs that I, than I wanted to on that album. I wanted to put like five more songs on. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I felt like, who I am as a songwriter at the end of the day, like if you strip back all this production of all these songs, I'm writing ballads. You know what I mean? Like jackpot at the end of the day can be a ballad. If you just play it on a guitar with a singer, like that's the kind of song it is. And that's what always has really mattered to me as a songwriter. I want to make something classic. I want to make something that's going to stand the test of time. And that's why LA was also so hard because people are all, all chasing like the hit, the hit, the hit. And for me, I was like, I don't care about the hit. I care about the song, you know? Mm -hmm. So I felt like 
releasing a whole album kind of went with that because it's classic and it's the way people used to listen to music. And I'm also challenging people to like pay attention for longer than five minutes. Like see if you can. <laughs> it's true. Dive into my world, dive into my brain, you know, and it's really blown my mind. I mean, I've been home and so many people have said, I, I heard the album and I'm just like, you listen to the whole thing. And all these people are saying that. I mean, maybe they're lying to me, but <laughs> it's pretty cool. <laughs> Go with it. Go with it. Um, do I'll you go with, go with it? Now, with regards to the album, um, is it like uh, a time period in your life, or is it thematic? Like, like how do you categorize this collection of songs? Um, it's basically just a mishmash of just every single genre, you know. And that's me. I've realized that I'm really lucky to have the voice that I have, and I know how distinct it is now, mm-hmm. just based on the reactions that I've gotten from people. Um, and so I've realized I'm the genre. Like, my voice is the genre. You know, I grew up as a country singer. I don't know if you knew that. I did not. I was told, yeah, I grew up singing country for years before I went to pop. And then I went to pop, and I was just a little bit too obsessed with Christina Aguilera. <laughs> and I was told, like, you sound too much like her. you got to get away from this, you know? Like, and I was just all over the place. I loved R&B. I loved country. I loved pop. I loved all these things. And... For me, the album is kind of like, that's the title too, is like, don't make me choose a genre. You can't, because I'm just going to do whatever I want from now on, you know? That is awesome. I have to tell you too, and, and I mean, I talked about this a little bit before we started the interview, but the confidence level in you is like amazing. And it's and, and it's like quiet confidence, I would call it. How do you categorize where you are now with, with how you feel about uh, how you're managing your career? Yeah, I do feel really confident. I do. And I think real confidence is always quiet. You know, the older that I get, I think the more I realize that. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I think, I think like I was saying to you before, like, I think confidence comes from preparation. I've always really believed that. And I've always been like, really passionate about preparation. I mean, I from the I'm from 12 years old on, I have been working about four hours a day on music of some kind, you know? Mm-hmm. And when you do that for 22 years, like it adds up to a lot of confidence. That makes sense. Now you yeah. have to talk to me a little bit about, I know that you, you said earlier about um, coming home was important. I guess part of me is wondering, like I'm super happy you went home to, to Calgary. Cause I know how important it was for me to come back to Montreal after spending eight years in Toronto. And of course, like I love Toronto as second home to me, but Montreal is home. Montreal is home, home, as mm-hmm. I call it. And so I'm just mm-hmm. wondering, uh, why go back to Calgary as opposed to maybe Toronto? Because you really are a Canadian pop star. And so you can do anything. And I'm sure you can do anything from Calgary too. But what was the pull to go back to Calgary? I fought for a long time between Toronto and Calgary. And I actually, um, Scott Hellman and I, we were actually going to do an apartment switch. And he was going to come stay in LA. And I was going to spend, you know, a couple months in Toronto at his place. And that just fell through. And I, I just decided, you know what, I'm just going to follow what feels the most natural to me right now. And for me, the epitome of that is my best friend, Sam, in, in Calgary. Um, my other best friend's in Nashville. I, I tried living in Nashville. It's, uh, it's an interesting place. That didn't really work out for me. <laughs> okay. So I got to go to my other best friend. You know, like I needed my friends. I needed my, my people around me. And I think also Calgary's a lot cheaper than Toronto. Oh, and yeah. for me, I'm... I'm a traveler at heart. And I think that was also a challenging part for LA was like, I'm not going to stop traveling, even if I can't afford it. I've proven that to myself again and again. So why don't you just go somewhere that's like really easy to live and cheaper so that when you do travel, you can like actually do it the way you want to do it. So for me, it's, you know, my boyfriend's still back in LA. So that's like, that's definitely going to be challenging. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, it's, it feels a lot less challenging just based on how healthy I already feel being home. Yeah. And I think when you're, you know, in a relationship and you're unhealthy, it's like, that's what's really the hardest on a relationship. So distance is nothing compared to that, you know? Okay. That makes sense. And what are your thoughts on the current Canadian pop landscape? Because there are a few of you that are doing extremely well. There is you, there is Rhea May, there is Scott Hellman, there is Tyler Shaw, uh, there is Dan Tulefsky, like the list goes on. Mm -hmm. So are you guys all, yeah, that's right. Are you guys like tight and supportive of one another? We are really close. We are all homies and it's really, really cool because 
I mean, Rhea May, okay, I've been, like, wanting to be friends with her for years, but, like, I didn't want to come on too strong, you know what I mean? So, like, I've just been playing it cool. And okay. finally, like, she realized that, like, we're just meant to be friends forever. Okay, I'm good. Like, oh, my God, you finally get it! <laughs> and so I just, like, I, I went to Nashville recently, and we, like, stayed in a house for a week together, and we wrote a bunch of songs, and, um, you know, I've been texting every day pretty much with Dan Tulevsky. He'll always send me, like, little clips of my song coming on the radio every single time he hears it, you know. Matthew B., I, I actually have a duet coming out with Matthew B., amazing. which I'm really excited about. That's amazing. You're going to die when you hear this song, Kelly. I mean, and, and thank you to Rhea May for this. Rhea and I wrote the song together with Rhea McKinnon, who I don't know if you know her. I do not. Um, she's going to be an incredible solo artist one day. She's so talented. So we wrote this song and Rhea was actually the one that connected me to Matthew that was like, yo, you guys need to sing together. Your voices are like, would be so special together. So it's, it's just really cool. I mean, I'm so proud of Tyler Shaw. I've written with him before. He's a wonderful human being. Scott Hellman, what a true talent. Yeah. I am such a huge fan of Scott's. And it just feels good to know that like there is zero competition there at all. And I think it's because we all have our own lane in a cool way. You know, we're all, in my opinion, like true artists that have their own thing. And none of us are like threatened by each other, which I think is really nice to see after living in L.A. Because so much of that city is just based on like beating each other. And I don't really want to be a part of that. Okay, that makes sense. And I wanted to ask you, have you had a chance yet to meet Alessia Cara? Because I feel like you guys would be buds. Oh, my God, I have. And you know what? I learned a valuable lesson meeting her. I met her at this crazy show that I played where like Sean Mendez and Robin Thicke and Charlie Puth. And then it was like me on the bill because it was during like the time that jackpot was really big. And there was like rollover to Buffalo, New York from the Toronto stations. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I'm like a big deal in Buffalo, New York. And I'm playing this <laughs> massive arena show of 18,000 people. And it's like, you should, Oh my God, you would laugh so hard. The, the tour vans, like, Everyone else has these like huge vans and we're rolling up in this like minivan and it was just so awesome. <laughs> and Alexia, you know, she had broken at the same time as me was here as Jackpot. So that was really cool because we were both kind of just figuring out what we were doing. She was like half my age though, like yeah. literally, you know, she's just killed it. And it was really neat because I'm not really one to approach people because I don't want to bother them. And I'm yeah. also like terribly insecure, you know? So she came up to me and she was like, oh, my God. Hi, I'm Alessia. And I was like, "Uh, yeah, I know. Like, I'm a huge fan. Oh, my God. And I asked her to take a photo. And I regret that. I regret that because I wish that I had just had a real conversation with her, you know? Yeah. And and I noticed her body language kind of kind of changed because, you know, at that time, I'm sure every single person that met her was asking for something from her, you know? Right, right. And I just, yeah, I, I, from then on, I have never asked for a photo again from someone. And I just am so grateful that she's, she's a very honest person. You know, I feel like you can really gauge how she's feeling Yeah. just from standing next to her, which I think is why she's such a powerful artist. I'm so proud of her. God, she's done some incredible things. And you know what? I sent her my last EP. I sent to her. She listened to all of them. She decided on like what she thought was the single. Like she's really smart and she's, she's really like kind. I'm really, really proud of her. That's amazing. And before I let you go, I have to ask you, what do you hope to accomplish in the next six to 12 months career-wise? Like does Jocelyn Alice have specific goals? Definitely. I, I really want to keep focusing on, on writing and collabing with other people. I mean, that's always going to be my number one focus. And then aside from that, I would definitely love to do a proper tour because I've never really done that yet. I've been more focused on the writing side, and I think it's time that I kind of put my feet to the ground and come play some shows, you know? Well, I'm waiting for you in Montreal, so anytime now. <laughs> I'm waiting for you to show okay, up. Okay, <laughs> okay. I'm going to get on this. <laughs> okay. uh, I love you profusely. I honestly <laughs> am so proud of, of everything that you're accomplishing and, and what you've accomplished, and we are so lucky to have you as one of our Canadian artists. So congratulations on all your success. Thank you so much, Kelly. We're so lucky to have someone like you who's so supportive of us. Well, it's a, it's it's easy for me, especially because you guys are all so talented. And I'm super happy to know that you're all like buds because I think that that's so important, especially in Canada. Like, I think it's important to be buds, especially in the arts. So that's amazing. <laughs> that's so cool. It's 
so nice when you're like, dude, this is what I'm going through. And she's like, it's okay. I went through it and I got through it. You know what I mean? <laughs> Fantastic. Well, uh, that is platinum selling Canadian artist uh, Jocelyn Alice. Don't forget her new album, How Dare You, is out. And you can grab all of her information, jocelynalice.com. The Kelly Alexander Show, bringing you fresh sounds like this. of hip-hop soul Mary J. Blige, who also happens to be a Grammy and Golden Globe winner, has just dropped a box set of her biggest hits from the 90s on a new album called Her Story Volume 1. And as you can tell, this is a song you would have heard in the past, Be Happy, released in 1994. It has a new twist on it for 2019, and we're so excited to have Mary J. Blige revisiting some of her most prolific tunes. By the way, if you are a fan of Mary J. Blige, she's working on a documentary about her life that is being executive produced by herself and Sean Diddy Combs. You don't have to say has dropped a new single to pump up excitement for his new album Fine Line and as you can hear it sounds pretty good it's called Adore You has great harmonies and you can tell that Harry definitely has a lot more confidence going on in his vocals his new album drops very soon and he's going to be heading out on tour in 2020 Not much is known about this group because they try to keep their identities hidden. They want to live a normal life and not really have to deal with fame. Now I'm not sure how long they're going to be able to keep this up because their music is very catchy. The song you're listening to is called West Coast Love off their new album The Juice Volume 2. Now you can follow them on social media. On Twitter it's at Emotional Orange and on Instagram at Emotional Oranges. New music on The Kelly Alexander Show. Joining us on the show is legendary dance music A&R executive Gladys Pizarro, who co-founded New York City-based house music label Strictly Rhythm back in 1989. Gladys helped develop the careers of house music legends like Louis Vega, Armin Van Helden, Roger Sanchez, Ultra Nate, Barbara Tucker, and the list goes on and on. We are so happy to have her on the show. She has a new label, uh, Launch Entertainment, and we can't wait to chat with her. Gladys, welcome to The Kelly Alexander Show. Well, thank you, Kelly. Thanks for having me. Such a, I'm such honored to be here. Perfect. Well, we want to get into all the goodness of your career. So can you take us back? Uh, how did you decide that you wanted to get into the music business? Well, I mean, as a little girl, I mean, um, I love music. I, I have, you know, I come from a Spanish background. And um, at that particular time, my sisters used to listen to a radio station called WABC. And it had all these um, pop artists. Um, the Rolling Stones and, and the Beatles and, and just name it back then. And, you know, as a little kid, I always really liked, I love music. And um, I started collecting records really early. Um, I, I would get my, um, my you know, 75 cents a week and um, buy, buy 45, which at that time was really small records. And I think the first record I bought was by the Jackson 5, you know, Michael Jackson's group. So, yeah, and from there on, I just became a consumer of, as a kid, a consumer of records. That's fantastic. Now, take us to when you guys uh, started Strictly Rhythm. Like, how did that come about? Well, I went to high school with a friend, a friend of mine who was in the business. He was on um, promotions director at Arista Records. And we were really, really close. And um, at one particular time, I, I, wanted, I, I wanted to get my foot in the door. And there was a receptionist position at Spring Records. And, um, and I interviewed with Mark Finkelstein, and I got the job as a receptionist. And we were there for like two years before that label closed, and he saw that I was going out a lot, and um, he wanted to remain in the business. And I needed a job. So he's like, Gladys, you know, do you think we could do this? Like, you know, I know that you go out a lot, kind of, you're in the scene. And I was like, well, yeah, I would love to remain in the business. Um, and at that particular time, freestyle, Latin freestyle was very popular, but I knew we couldn't beat Harding Records, Mac. I mean, you know, they were well-established and for us to start doing 
freestyle would not be a good would not be you know a good decision. So I said the the next thing that we do have here in New York is what's happening right now is house music. I said why don't we just do house music? And he said all right let's let's do it. What do you want to call the label? He was like oh let's call it strictly strictly records. And I was like how about we call it strictly rhythm? Perfect. <laughs> he said that sounds. That sounds better. I said, okay. So we started, you know, we looked for logos. We found a perfect guy to do something for us cheap because we didn't have any money back then. And the rest is history. Wow. Now, what would you consider your first big break for the label that kind of got you guys maybe getting some street cred? Oh, absolutely. Um, it was Love Dancing by Roger Sanchez. Nice. Oh, actually, actually, excuse me. No, it was a, the first record that put us on the map. It's a record called The Warning. From Logic? Yes. Well, okay. You go, Kelly. You know your house music. <laughs> I'm trying. I'm trying. Uh, yeah, now that was the first. That was the first one that gave us street cred. Okay. Cool. And then, how long did it take to get the ball rolling? Because I know that once you guys are rolling, it felt like everybody wanted to be on Strictly. Yeah. Well, I, I got to be honest with you. Um, I would have been earlier. Um, there was a record that I wanted by Eric, not Eric Morello, by by George Morell. But I didn't get it. I was so upset. I was kicking rocks. I didn't get it. I didn't get it. So then I, I would say 1207, if I remember, because the catalog, it took like five to six releases until I got my, my first break with Tony Humphreys, who landed up playing The Warning at, at, at Zanzibar and played it at 98.7 Kiss. And I think he played it like twice. And the place went bananas. By the time I went to work on Monday, the phones were ringing off the hook because people wanted to license the record. That's fantastic. Now, tell us, too, how you managed to get uh, some of these artists, like, on the label, because, you know, you had uh, Alternate's free, reel-to-reels, I like to move mm-hmm. it, and my personal favorite, and I still play this Gladys to this day, it is in my workout uh, MP3 <laughs> list, Barbara Tucker's Beautiful People. So oh, I, awesome. I love that stuff. I have all the remixes for that song. Oh my god! Oh my god! All of them. Um, yeah, like how? Like what was it like to 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 know that you had these records under you and and that they were doing so well out in the universe? Okay, well this is the this is like I keep like I say I'm a consumer. I love good music. As a kid, and remember, I was buying records. So when I before I got my receptionist position at um, at Spring Records. I worked at The Wiz, um, at the record department. So I was a huge, wait, let me just say that again, huge fan of Todd Terry and Louis Vega. So there, you know, me being in this, you know, working at the 12th department and, and listening to what was going on in the streets of New York, I was like, wow, if I ever get an, a, a job in a record company, these are the guys that I want to work with, you know? So when I worked at Spring Records, and Todd Terry used to come into the office, I was like, oh, my God, I can't believe this. It's like, I, <laughs> I, like King, you know, King, King of House to me, right? Like, yeah. so, you know, we developed a friendship, a, a, a relationship, and, um, and the, you know, then he started sending, bringing um, music to the label. And then once I got Todd in, Kenny Dope started to come in. One, and then when Kenny Dope started to come in, I was after Louis Vega, because I'm a huge fan of Louis. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was, and it's funny because he was making that transition. He needed someone to, you know, to kind of help him in that transition phase from when he was doing freestyle with Jelly Bean and Todd and, you know, working with Kenny from doing like all those amazing remixes for Tommy Boy and major labels. Mm-hmm. He wanted to make that transition into house. And I was the perfect person to do that with because not only was I a huge fan of his, um, when he was doing that kind of music, he was also extraordinary in doing house. And no one really knew that yet. So he got to put out all his house tracks and house um, productions at Strictly. How did Barbara Tucker come to you? Through Louis Vega. Through Louis Vega. Um, and I used to see Barbara in the clubs, but, you know, and she was always a dancer. And, you know, and, and it, she had a little history anyway before coming and doing um, Beautiful People. Mm-hmm. But when I heard Beautiful People uh, and I saw him, like, I think, play it out a few times, like test it out. I was like, I got it. I got to have it. So I ran to Mark Finkelstein. I'm like, look, you've you got to get me this record. And that was it. And just the people just gravitated to, to Barbara because she's an excellent performer and an excellent, perf- and an excellent singer. Mm-hmm. 
And and then just, you know, we playing it all over the place at the Sound Factory Bar. That was the place to go on, on Wednesday to hear the best house in New York City. And not only that, it was also a networking spot for all labels to come in and network. So it was just oh, an amazing time in the 90s in New York City for house music. An amazing time. I just just talking about it now. I just got a rush. Uh-huh. Amazing. Me too. And I wasn't even there. I wasn't even there. <laughs> um, yeah, I was a little farm girl listening to my vinyl. Uh, you know, out with the cows. Yeah, but but you need your, you know your house. That was, I think that's amazing. You know, you know, you were very attracted to because you know your house music. Oh uh, well, it's and, amazing. And, look, and, and a farm girl. You're saying you're a farm girl. Like how did? How did it get to you? You know, I think what happened is, is like I, I, I heard, uh, I became a huge fan of Crystal Waters and CC Peniston in the yeah. early 90s. And then it just kind of went from there. Like I just started to search for things and things started to come to me. And that's when, like I said, all the Strictly stuff started to, like I said, when I heard Barbara Tucker, like I just lost my mind and like a uh, big fan of Armin Van Helden and just all that stuff. So I, I was actively going out and purchasing vinyl. Um, which was so interesting to me in the fact that like my parents, like I, it's, I mean, they like Motown music and stuff, but they're more Elvis right. Presley people. So the That's fact right. that I had such, um, an inclination towards house music, uh, was really important to me. And then also I'm a huge Janet Jackson fan. And so oh. when she started to have remixes by some of your people, uh, yeah, like that was local. just amazing, amazing, amazing. And, you know, I wanted to get your take, um, Gladys on the fact that, you know, you've been talking about the New York scene and how it was important to go out and, and see what the people were listening to. If we fast forward to today, is it still important for people to be out listening to music or because the streaming is such a big thing now, are people are like, are you finding your next songs uh, through streaming? Or are you still out, you know, networking with live people? No, it's not. It's nowhere near. I wish it was similar. I mean, I wish it was like, the, you know, like back in the old days, um, it's just different now. Um, it's, you know, the DJs, a lot of DJs have their own label and um, they play their own stuff. And, you know, of course they throw in some other, other music that, you know, other house tracks, but it's just different. It's a different vibe. And talk to us then about how people from back in the day are doing today because, you know, Crystal Waters is still doing amazingly well. Barbara Tucker, yes. you know, Martha Wash, like yes. they are still relevant and still important to the house community. So how are people like them and like you staying relevant? Well, I mean, I guess we, we're really one. I guess we're really good at what we do, number one. And number two, um, just people are, are are attracted to good music. And, you know, Crystal is an amazing singer. She has her own style. And, and she's an amazing performer. I mean, as many times as I've seen her perform, I still get goosebumps when she, you know, when she performs because the songs are great and she knows how to rev the, rev the crowd up. You know, it's just, it's like, it's funny because as many times like I see the show, it's always a great performance. Yeah, agreed. You know, and, and Barbara as well. India, Barbara, Alternate. Now Alternate is a DJ. She DJs and she, and she performs. And, you know, it's just, I was lucky to be able to work with amazing, amazing, amazing artists that are still relevant today. Even though we did go through a period where it was a little dry, but house is back and bigger than ever. For someone who's coming up now or who wants to be where someone like Crystal Waters is today, what advice would you give to them, Gladys? Like, what do you want to see from upcoming house artists? All right. Well, first of all, I mean, they, you know, they, it'd be nice if they wrote their own music and, um, and kind of have a, a team because right now you need a team to help you in all aspects of, of the business. You know, the business part, you need the gigs, you need like a good, well, a manager to help you get the you know, the, the gigs um, and a good production team that'll help you, you know, make some really good tracks so that you can get them out there to the public. And, and really the public is the one that, are, you know, the public is the one that are going to tell you if they like it or not. So, you know, and, and really th- what I could say is really be true to yourself, like be true to your, your, your music. Like I was just watching, for instance, um, and I, this has nothing to do with house, but I'm going to go with Taylor Swift, right? Yeah. I mean, I really admire that girl because she writes her own music. And, um, and regardless, I mean, she started out country, but she's a pop star. And people, I just saw people talking kind of like, oh, really? She's got the 10-year, what is it, the 10-year artist of the year? Or the, yep. Yeah. I believe she did. She earned it. You know, I, I could tell like a lot of people are pissed off about it. But no, she, she, in the last 10 years, she gave you a lot of great music. 
and I think that she deserves it. That's just my opinion. That's perfect. <laughs> well, she's doing it, she's doing well. That is there, that is no doubt. And you know, I love, yeah, she's a you know she's talented and yep. a lot of and she makes and she writes great songs. Yep. Exactly. And, you know, I wanted to get your opinion on that, too. And I've had this discussion with Crystal in the past where, you know, I think the um, the dance community often gets a bad rap because everyone thinks that it's, you know, useless lyrics like there's there's not there's no substance to them. But then, like, right. if you look at Crystal's Gypsy Woman, you know, that is about a homeless person. You know, if you look at her yeah. recent song, Heavy, like that's talking about the state of the world today. And like the list goes on with with other artists who have socially relevant lyrics. So how do you feel, Gladys, as someone who is obviously an ambassador for House? Like, what do you feel like when people, um, you know, trash, I, I would say, the, the genre? No, I mean, it's an opinion. People can say what they want, but obviously House is here to stay. You know, it's like we, we, we also have consciously... Um, made amazing songs that deal with social social issues but you know everybody's entitled to their opinion Joining us on the show is dance music A&R executive Gladys Pizarro of Launch Entertainment. You can hit up her website for more details launch-entertainment.com. Gladys talk to us about why you started up Launch. Um well I I this is the second time. Um I started out Launch with again my my um my boss at the time partner uh mark finkelstein i gave it a shot but we went to through an edm kind of phase which was not really my forte so it didn't do that well so now that house was is back in the last two or three years i decided to reopen the label and um and and give it another shot and so far i've I had a really successful year um, and I can't wait for next year because we have so many projects that that we're engaging in in 2020. Um, but yeah, it wasn't easy, you know, because I, I mean, I've, I've been out of the scene for a while and everything's changed digital and, and it's just, you know, a new way of promotion and marketing. But, you know, I'm learning. Um, Rome wasn't built in a day. And like right now, I mean, I just worked with Crystal Waters. We almost made number one on the dance music, um, Billboard dance charts. But, you know, we're not going to give up. We'll, we'll give it another shot. Two, two isn't bad, but it isn't one. <laughs> we peaked we at two, but, you know, all right, back to the drawing board. We'll, 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 we'll give it another shot. And I want to give a shout out because we've talked about the song before on my show. So it's called United in Dance. Definitely check it out. It's a great track. And, and um, Gladys, with regards to the song, like, obviously, two is very good because you're, you know, you're almost there and you've obviously in the top 10, which is amazing. Did you know that you had something special with this particular song? And how did you bring Crystal on board? Okay. Um, well, first of all, the song is really, especially with everything that's going on right now, I think that what keeps us all alive and conscious and, and together is music. So, you know, when, when you hear music, everybody, for some reason, it takes away whatever your problems are. I mean, even if it's for a minute, you know, or whatever, it makes you happy. And that's, you know, that's what United, United in Dance is kind of about, you know, just throw, your, throw away your cares and let's all get united. Let's unite and go dance on the dance floor. And how do you know, uh, Gladys, that you have like a hit on your hands? Because obviously you've had a hand in picking very many successful hit hit dance songs. So how do you know? Is it a gut feeling like, or is it a sound? Like, how do you know that it, this is going to go somewhere? It is definitely a gut feeling. And it's definitely, um, you know, like a God-given gift, I, I would say. You know, and sometimes I'm, I'm excited, you know, like sometimes I'm excited about a project and it doesn't happen. But the minute I let go, it's the most bizarre thing. I'm like, oh, you know, I used to check the books. Let's, let me give you an example for I Like to Move It. I was like, this record's a hit. This record's a hit. And when I put the record out and I was looking at the numbers every week, I was like, oh, it's okay. He's doing X amount, X amount, and X amount. But then I was like, wow, maybe I was wrong. I, I, I can't believe that this record is not doing as well as I wanted to. I let go. Two weeks later, I got a call from a company overseas. They were like, hey, we really like this record. We'd like to license it from you. That was it. You know, um, I think Positiva, another label in the UK, ended up picking up the record. They came into New York and did the video. The rest is history. It launched not only Eric Murillo's career, Real to Real's career, and, and the rest is history. And... What is your take on, I know you said that house music is obviously in the last couple of years is heading back in the right direction. Uh, is this uh, a genre that is financially viable for someone to be in? Like, like artists coming up, can they exist on being a house music artist? Um, 
It depends. Like, you know, I, I really, I, I'm trying to think of the um, Smith, the guy who was in the, in the group. Um, I can't think of it. I thought that it was going to go somewhere, but they did for a moment. Um, Sam Smith, he yep. was in that group. Um, I forgot the name of the group. Um, he was in a group, I um, uh, can't remember. But And they, they disclosure. Oh, yes. You know, and mm-hmm. I, I, I thought that was going to land up. I mean, I'm sure that they probably... Maybe they're still together, but you know something that kind of started healthy and then had potential of crossing over. You know, I I, I had big hopes for it, and it did happen for a minute, but then you know it's it, it's all, I, I haven't heard from the group anymore. So as for it happening, I, I'm not gonna say no. It's just I haven't seen it happen yet. Okay. I mean, I would like to keep an open mind that someday there'll be an artist that could cross over i mean house artists that could cross over and remain but uh no i haven't i haven't seen it okay and for- I, I i like i like dua lipa i mean yeah but i don't i i really like her but i don't know how the longevity with that's going to be all right yeah we'll see we'll see we'll see now if you compare to from back in the day like um how were the artists mainly making money back in the day was it the performances or was it the actual physical copy sales oh no it was it was um Actually, they were booked a lot. Like, they were booked X amount of weeks, per, you know, throughout the year. Okay. And they're, they're, they're still doing the same thing. Everyone that I speak to, I mean, Barbara Tucker gets, um, how do you call it? She gets, um, she goes to Ibiza, like, every year. She has a residency. Okay. You know, like, for X amount of months. I mean, she's traveling all over the world. You know, um, so um, so is Crystal. She's on tour. Like, yeah. All of, all of these artists that I help build their career, they're still relevant and they're still working in their in their genre of house music. Which is fantastic. And I did want to ask you too, when it comes to the ladies of house, because you know, so many of us have such love for them, like a Crystal, like a CC Peniston, like a Martha Wash, uh, Barbara Tucker, of course, the list goes on. Um, how important are they to you, Gladys, like just them being females and doing their thing in a male-dominated industry? Well, I, I'm super excited about it because you know one they're they're the ones that paved the way for all these other artists to to come through dance artists um if i don't know if you saw black girls rock yeah but that was a a, an amazing i thought the way they opened up the show was amazing paying homage to the women of dance you know i mean even though we know that it's house um but they were lucky enough to they were so popular enough that they crossed over into pop and you know, you can't beat that. That's something to be admired. Admired, and I, I, if I'm not mistaken, those records came out 20 years ago, and they're still popular today. Oh yeah, <laughs> for sure. Yeah, Crystal okay. and I often talk you know, about I mean, Gypsy you can't Woman. Go to a disco and not hear "Show Me Love" or "Finally" or "Gypsy Woman." Yeah, and and then and then and then there's other records behind that as well. But you know, it doesn't get any better than that. And for me to be able to, you know, I know them, I love them. They're friends of mine. And um, I'm super proud, you know, that we all had some type type of connection into developing that and and what and what's happening, you know, and what's following that now. And uh, before I let you go, what is up for Gladys in the next like six months to to a year? Like uh, like, you know, I'm assuming you're probably worked off your your feet. Well, uh, believe it or not, um, I have something that I'm working on. I'm working on a documentary about house music. And Amazing. it's a, a little bit, it, I don't want to call it the strictly rhythm story. I'm not going to, I'm not, that's not, that's not what it's about, but it's the development of all of these um, artists, DJs and artists that they came up from nothing. And now look at them, you know, like 20 years later, I mean, striving and, and making amazing records and sharing their talent with the world. I mean, like Roger Sanchez is in it. Um, Todd Terry's in it. Louis Vega's in it. Um, uh, Bob Sinclair's in it. I mean, I've got so many people involved in this project. So I'm hoping I can show a trailer in Winter Music Conference. And I would love to, my dream is to debut the film at ADE this year. That would be fantastic. Yeah. And it's called Gotta Have House. Oh, cool. So look out for it. 
Awesome. Uh, Gladys, it's been so great to have you on the show. I really appreciate this. And, uh, you know, everything that you did for us back in the 90s and continue to do now, like it's uh, there's a special place in our heart for you. Well, thank you so much, Kelly, for one, supporting us and for, you know, and for having me on the show. I really, really and greatly appreciate it. Thank you. You are welcome. That is uh, dance music and our executive Gladys Bizarro again of Launch Entertainment. You can hit up her website for all the details. Launch-Entertainment.com. Time for a look now at what's happening in music and entertainment. Forbes has released their top earning musicians list of 2019, and a lot of the usual suspects have made it into the top 10, like Drake and Sean Diddy Combs. Beyonce and her hubby Jay-Z tied each other for sixth place. They brought in $81 million each. Now, when it comes to the top three, Ed Sheeran in third place with $110 million, Kanye West in second with $150, and the grand pooba, Taylor Swift. She brought in $185 million. If you're wondering how she managed to do this, well, she dropped her new album, Lover. She has endorsement deals, and she also had been out on her Reputation Stadium tour. Looks like we might have another star on our hands. Jennifer Lopez and Mark Anthony's 11-year-old daughter, Emmy, has told them that she wants to be a professional singer, and both J-Lo and Mark are completely behind her dream. Jennifer even had Emmy up on stage with her earlier this summer during her tour. They performed Limitless together, and she also has been showing off on social media her daughter's amazing skills at covering Alicia Keys' If I Ain't Got You. I guess it doesn't hurt when your gene pool consists of two amazing entertainers, and they happen to be your parents. Have you watched Martin Scorsese's latest gangster movie, The Irishman, on Netflix yet? Well, that movie clocks in at about three hours and 30 minutes, his longest film ever. Now, Scorsese isn't the only director to go over the three-hour mark, so if you like to have your tail feathers parked in a seat for three hours, here are a few more movies you might want to check out. Avengers Endgame is three hours and two minutes. Titanic, starring Leo DiCaprio and Kate Winslet, is three hours and 14 minutes. And The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, three hours and 21 minutes. Recently, Billie Eilish accepted the Hitmaker of the Year Award from Variety Magazine in Los Angeles, and she had a lot of people to thank in her speech, but no one more important than her brother, Phineas. Phineas is my best friend, um, my big brother, he's four years older than me, and we've been best friends kind of forever, and we started writing music together when I was 13 and he was 18, or 17, and um, he produces everything. He's the only reason I'm anywhere in the whole world, he's probably the only reason I'm alive. I have to say, it's really awesome that Billy has someone like her big bro who she can lean on because the amount of pressure on this kid is ridiculous. So it's really great that she's got Phineas and her parents because it definitely is a roller coaster ride. We've seen how fame can eat at young artists. All you have to do is ask Justin Bieber or even Nick Carter from back in the day. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us on the show this week, and a huge shout-out to our guests, Jocelyn, Alice, and Gladys Pizarro. My thanks to Adam Brisson for being an amazing producer, and don't forget that you can pick us up on all the major podcast platforms, Apple, Spotify, Google Play, and Stitcher Radio. We'd love for you to grab all of our social media handles, hit up our website, kellyalexandershow.com. Have an amazing week. You and I will chat soon. The Kelly Alexander Show.